Welcome to TechTastic, the podcast that explores the cutting-edge world of technology and its impact on society. New breakthroughs and developments are revolutionizing the world around us, presenting exciting opportunities as well as complex challenges. We'll explore the big ideas and key players driving these transformations as we seek to understand the implications of these advancements for our lives, our communities, and our planet. Join us on this journey of discovery and exploration as we navigate the fascinating and ever-evolving world of technology. This is TechTastic. Sani Abdul-Jabbar, welcome to It's TechTastic. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you. Why don't you give me a little bit about your background and how you got to being where you're at right now and why that's relevant to what, like, maybe the next five years and what's about to happen? So the background, um, I've been in the tech industry for about 20 years, uh, started a company called Vestec that I currently run. And Vestec is an emerging tech company. So the idea always was whatever is emerging in the market, we're going to do that. And as you know, in the past, the definition of emerging used to change every two to four years. Now it changes about 12 to 14 months. So currently about 80 to 90% of our work is focused on things like artificial intelligence, machine learning, blockchain, and related technologies. Okay. So are you guys like a outsourced development agency or are you building your own products and putting them in market or? So we are a consulting firm. We provide two services. One is a software development and um, uh, resource placement. So that particular piece right now is being heavily disrupted, right? With Copilot and a bunch of the other development generative code side stuff, that industry is really in flux. Currently, our challenge is not actually not having enough work. Our challenge is not having enough professionals, enough developers, enough QA people. And the reason for that is every time you are just getting out of a hype phase for any technology, everyone and their grandmother starts claiming that they are the experts in that. That's right. Yep. So differentiating between who is actually an expert and who is a self-proclaimed expert, that's where the challenge lies. So our constant process right now, constant struggle is finding the right people, onboarding the right people, and making sure that we can still deliver to our clients. On the other side, on the demand side, there's actually more demand than we can handle with our current bandwidth. Finding the talent has been true for a while. It's really easy for me to identify if somebody's any good if I have time to interact. But when you're hiring, especially at a high growth company, you don't have the luxury of spending an hour with each of them to kind of feel out if they're competent. And you'll get, because of tools like LinkedIn, 400 responses in a single day to a posting and every one of them claiming that they're AI, ML, data science, like they've got all these skill sets. And then you look through their resume and go, you've never done this. You're a front end engineer. What are you talking about? I had a guy who graduated uh, two years ago and he has 10 years experience in AI. <laughs> When? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we get those resumes all the time. So one of the things that I personally struggle with a little bit is I'm stingy. I, I want to use the minimum amount of resources I have available to do the maximum output. And I find that somebody who's really talented and really driven is at least 10 times as value as somebody who's missing one of those two things. Driven can get you a long way just being willing to learn and to dive in, but you're gonna eat up time learning and having the skills but not being driven means that you're just gonna kind of sit on your hands and wait for somebody to ask you to do it. So you kind of need both those things, but I'm willing to pay a lot for that because I get a lot more from it. So I tend to have very small, high-performing teams that are focused on a discrete problem that they can own entirely. But in your space, in particular, because you're coming in as knowledge experts, you can't afford it. 
You can't afford to have a large organization that lets people rise through. You've got to have them because they're frontline and they're customer facing. How do you balance that? In our case, we use a hybrid model. You have very high performing individuals on the front. They are interacting with the client, they're interacting with the subject matter experts, stakeholders in the organization. Then you have the cleanup crew behind. So all the technical debt, right? So who handles the technical debt? Ideally, a good top performing uh, individual wouldn't create a lot of technical debt. But in our experience, that's not the case. Yeah. The fastest developers create the most amount of technical debt. Yep. And they are the most expensive too. <laughs> so I don't want yeah. them spending their energies on cleaning up the technical debt. I have the cleanup crew for that. And then also hybrid in terms of uh, stateside and offshore. So we have sure. people here in the U.S. at client locations working very closely alongside the clients, leading the projects, even leading the clients in some cases. And then we have this either offshore or even onshore, but not that the cream of the cream supporting. So by creating that sort of model, uh, we feel that we, we can optimize cost, we can optimize uh, output, and it just seems to work for everybody. So you mentioned the cleanup crew, and it's funny because that's actually how I talk about my own company. Uh, so Vala AI is my company, and I'm the CEO founder of it. And we actually do the janitorial services of software, dependency management, the, the tech debt that gets created at the end of a project because like we didn't write unit tests, we didn't make sure that we got the newest versions. And tech debt for me has always been kind of like, like if you're in Europe, as soon as they're done fixing a cathedral back up, like renovating it, they have to start again. It takes mm -hmm. so long and it's so much effort that by the time you're done, you're doing it again. In San Francisco, it's the Golden Gate Bridge. As soon as you're done painting it, you start painting it again, right? Tech debt's a lot like that because things are changing so rapidly. If you're using some package, there's a very good chance that there's a breaking change every three months. Something's yeah. coming out, right? Mm -hmm. And how many of those are you using? 200, maybe 400, a lot, right? Yeah, a lot. So that's what we actually focused our solution on doing. I, I actually was originally building it to do what you do as your mm -hmm. company and realized that's kind of a fool's errand. You want the humans, those amazing cream of the crop engineers right in front of the customer, solving real problems, doing what humans are great at, creation. And then you want the automation systems cleaning up the mess they make. That's right. Yeah, so I completely agree with that. In the AI era especially, uh, we hear our clients sometimes saying, I want to bring AI into my organization to automate everything. And I'm like, look, we told you the same thing last year, you know, two years ago too, when you wanted to bring blockchain in to do everything. <laughs> <laughs> and two years before that, when you wanted to bring uh, unstructured innovation centers. Oh God, I was part of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they had innovation. Uh, yeah, we had this service a few years ago. We still offer it. And the idea was we'd bring an innovation team and the, and the client would say, I just want innovation. I'm like, yeah, but unguided, unstructured innovation doesn't work. So we've been telling you the same thing every about two years that saying that just bring me this one pill that's going to solve all my pains. No, that doesn't work. No. Right. So like you said, you can have a tool to do one part of the job. You can have humans to do another part of the job. And that also uh, is the answer to this objection that I often hear is that, oh, AI is stealing our jobs. AI is only taking away that that redundant and that messy part of the work so that we can do something better. That's right. The pushback I've heard, like when I talk about us doing the janitorial services is, well, but janitors need jobs too. And I'm like, sure. Do you have a janitor at home or do you clean your own bathroom? Wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have to? That's what we're offering. I'm not trying to get rid of the janitors because there's still a need. There's still a lot of big implementations that have massive tech debt that AI isn't really like structured in such a way that it's going to solve for. That takes humans to dig in and be creative. But this stuff, I'm telling you, it's not being done. It's just being left to fester. So we'll clean it up. 
So I noticed that your company is a AI company. Uh, you're using AI. Have you ever been asked, well, AI is going to take over the world, Terminator scenario, that kind of thing? <laughs> Have you ever heard that? Yeah, we get it all the time. So there, there's two camps, really. There's the, uh, I've always called them the optimist, the pessimist, because that's generally how they are. But one of them is more like utopic view, and one is a dystopic view. So in the dystopic view, it takes over, it runs the world and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, here's why I don't see that happening. The reason that humans crave power is because we evolved a hierarchical system of interacting, right? We kind of evolved tribes. Before that, when we were you know, monkeys and apes and all that, same thing, you, you've got the silverback who's kind of running everything and, and all that, but like there's a hierarchy inherent in the way that we evolved to survive because we need each other and there needed to be somebody making decisions. AI doesn't have to go that route. It doesn't have the need for power. If it does evolve because of human interaction with it and giving it intent and need, if it does get that, it's good because we gave it to it, not mm -hmm. because it inherently needed it. It also doesn't really exist in the world in our traditional sense. It doesn't interact with physical. And that lack of the physical means it doesn't have the need for stuff. Yeah. which is the other place we picked that up, right? I need a house, I'd like a nicer house, I need food, I'd like better food, right? It doesn't have that. And unless we give it to it, which means we are intentionally trying to make a system that's going to want to take us out because we're giving it the same need, wants, and desires we have, right? If we don't do that, why would it? Well, if, if, if I was playing devil's advocate, I would say it has needs. If it became self-aware, which sci-fi scenario not happening tomorrow, but if it becomes self-aware, which means self-interest, which means self-preservation, right? Then it is going to start thinking about what's good for it. And for example, I recently had a meeting with Microsoft and we were looking at some challenges around AI and whatnot. And I heard some numbers. They said currently 3% of the world's electricity is being consumed by AI and blockchain combined. By the end of this decade, they're expecting 8% of world's electricity production going into that. So a uh, point being AI type technologies, they need a lot of electricity. So that's AI's need. And if AI starts thinking about self-interest, then it's going to start pulling all the electricity. Then what happens to us? Hollywood <laughs> sci-fi no, scenario, that's, right? That's a valid concern, right? So, yeah, I, I mean, this, this is an interesting intellectual exercise. Um, we've been doing AI work. First significant project that we did in the AI space was in 2015 in the uh, architectural and building development world in Florida. So we've been doing it for a while. And this question that AI is going to take over the world and, and Terminators are coming, that's been coming up. So I kind of started thinking how to avoid that future. So I started asking this question to smart people like you, how to avoid AI doing stupid things and scary things, <laughs> things from today. Yeah. And, and one of those smart people, he said, if you want your kids not to do stupid things 20 years from today, what would you do today? That's a great way of asking it. That's like, exactly. Yeah, you. Yeah. So you know what I did? I actually went ahead and I wrote a book. I did some research. It's called mm -hmm. Makers, a slender knowledge. And the idea was, what is it that you teach your kids today not to do stupid things from 20 years from today? You teach them good values, human values. Right. And we kind of train AI on data. We expose it to different scenarios. And what if we expose it to human values? Kindness, compassion, empathy, that kind of stuff. So I wrote a book about it. Um, check it out when you get a chance. I will. That, that, that sounds very, very interesting. And it's a great premise. So when, when I set out to write this book, I, I intended to write it as a almost like a manifesto, almost like a framework. Do you know how to do X? Here are five steps, that kind of model. Uh, my advisor in the book is uh, uh, Mr. Mark Victor Hansen, uh, the author of uh, Chicken Soup series. Uh, oh, that's great. 
yeah. the very accomplished author. So yeah. he, heard, he heard my idea and he's like, the idea is great. The delivery is going to be boring. <laughs> Don't make it how to. There are too many how to things out there. Write a story. People want stories. So I wrote it in the form of a story. And uh, in the story, you know, you, you see human and machine interaction. But the framework, the underlying is a framework. The framework is here are five human values, follow these values, teach these values to a machine, we'll be all right. Now you can take the same concept and you can apply it to a movie, you can apply it to any form of communication, as long that framework, five human values framework is being communicated. Yeah, so I'm curious, in the story, you've got to have a protagonist and antagonist, and, and in those types of stories, the antagonist almost ends up by default being the AI. If you're going to build a sci-fi novel in which there's an interaction between human values and a machine, that's by default but what happens. That's part of it, but there's a major surprise, which I don't want to give away. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have to read the book. Yeah, <laughs> gotta read the book. And I also, I'm, I'm seeing similarities between the AI evolution and experience of AI and machines, and then the slavery experience and civil rights movement, and even religious movement. I'm seeing similarities there, and a lot of people are talking about it. It's, it's really interesting. So you, you just touched on a subject that I was playing with last night for a totally different reason. The idea of emergent AI, especially as it gets into AGI and that type of space and religion forming around it as a form of dystopian future, maybe, but also maybe a form of utopian future because at least 25% of any civilization craves the benevolent leader. They almost have to have it because I don't know if it's because they don't trust themselves or, or what it is, right? And having it a system that is fair, that's disinterested is interesting conceptually, but I don't think you can build it. I don't think you can ever really build a distant, disassociated, fair judge. And that's what it would take. It's a red herring, like you just can't do it because in trying to do it, your own values are being put into it. Absolutely. And that's a very good segue into another thought, which is if we are creating this model, AI models, based on our own thinking process, our own practices, our own behavior, that's a problem because we are racist, we are biased, we are, <laughs> you know, we have hatred for each other. We have lots of bad stuff as well as good stuff, right? How do we make sure that only the good values are communicated? When I presented this book earlier uh, to another group, they said, yeah, you're talking about values, but you're talking about like handpicked five values. How about the bad values that we all practice? How about those? And sometimes we are not even aware of those. How about that? And I said, well, that puts extra burden up, uh, and responsibility on our shoulders because a decision that we make today, it's not just for today. It's not just impacting one person in this moment. It's data for the future to train AI. Now right. there's this extra dimension. We have to think that I'm responsible in any uh, leadership capacity and in any organization making a decision. This is data that's going to be used to train AI. And then AI is going to impact the world. Yeah, I might even have AI babies. As you said earlier, you know, AI creating only AI, right? Yeah. yeah. In fact, you almost want it to. This is going to sound a little bit opposite of what I just said, but like if you do your best to only train the AI with those values and with data that expresses those values, you're only going to be so successful in doing that because your own biases are going to be pulled into it. But if then you take a step back and say, okay, now you, based on your knowledge, you AI, what values do you think the next model should be trained on? Now go get the data that allows it to train on that and let it do that. And you do that several evolutions and see what you end up with. It could be terrifyingly bad, but it also could be a very fair version of that because either you're going to inherit all those biases 
And it's just going to get doubled down and tripled down on and uh, refined in a sense into, into something almost more pure, which will allow you to identify and eliminate it, which is good. Or it'll remove it from the system as it, it identifies it and says, ah, get rid of that, get rid of that. So it's kind of like distillation for bias is the way I was thinking about it. You're absolutely right. Now, two case studies come to mind. One is, it just happened two days ago, I was writing something and I, th I thought, okay, let's try ChatGPT. So I wrote something that I put it in ChatGPT. I said, improve it for XYZ, read readability, for example. It improved. I said the same thing that I say to my kids. I said, is this the best you can do? <laughs> yes. I didn't know that's a prompt. <laughs> that's a legitimate prompt. It actually yeah. improved the thing. It highlighted the areas where it improved. So that's going with your analogy. It made sense, it worked. The other case study, you're probably familiar, Microsoft's product, I'm forgetting the name, it was a, a piece of AI that was created in the image of a young 12, 14 years old girl who is the best of humanity, right? Oh. And within less than 24 yeah. hours, it turns into this bloodthirsty dictator That's because right. of Twitter data. And the other examples like that. Yeah. So when you just give it free hand and say, go find us more values, is this the best you can do? That's a wild card. It can go in any direction. But that's the interesting thing is we know that there is all this toxic stuff in places like Twitter X, but how do you identify it without it having some form of bias coming forward? Because it could be like, I just don't like that, what they're saying, but it doesn't mean that it's a bad thing necessarily. I just don't like it. it makes me uncomfortable potentially, right? Most of the stuff seems self-evident when you look at it with a certain lens, but to somebody else, it might be acceptable or the norm or what they believe. So being able to distill it down to its essence and say, now we can identify it. We can really identify it because we let it go nuts and this is what it created. And then pattern match on that. Because then you could say now the opposite of train on this, unlearn this. Yeah, that's, that's really difficult. And it's already being used this method of unlearning. Tesla drivers know that Tesla had this problem, still has to a degree, <laughs> it's called phantom braking. So I have had this experience at least once in less than a year, and it just stops in the middle of nowhere. Now the problem has, for the most part, gone away with the recent updates, uh, or that's that's what I've been hearing. I haven't experienced it. Many other people, many groups, uh, Tesla owners groups that I talked to, they haven't experienced it. So that was the process of unlearning a bad behavior. It was learned from some data that was flawed and the conclusions based on it that were flawed, but then you had to go through the unlearning process, which took several updates and several months. <laughs> and it's still there to a degree, to your point. Yeah, actually, as I was saying, the unlearning process, I started thinking of deprogramming when somebody gets in, into a cult and they, they've been trained a certain way. Mm -hmm. It's so much easier to train than to untrain, mm -hmm. like, right? Yeah. It's easier to learn than unlearn. So maybe that's backwards, but it is an interesting way of finding it when we can't ourselves identify and isolate it. So when we go into organizations and we ask like, you know, bring me AI or <laughs> competitive advantage based on AI. So my very first question is, look, no AI conversation starts without data. Do you have data? Is it ready for AI? Are you ready for that future? That's like the starting conversation for everything. Recently, I've been hearing this new title that's emerging, AI Advocate. So what is AI Advocate? So AI Advocate basically is a guy who or, or an innovation team kind of in the context of AI. So, so they are they are trying to bring it into everything. And I'm like, no, start from the data. If the data is not, either it's not there or it's not structured properly or it's not clean enough, you're going to end up with a mess. Right? Hey, we're really short on time, but this has been a great conversation. If I could leave the audience with one thing you want them to understand from this conversation or one action that you want them to take after this, what would it be? So everything that we talked about, you and I so far, it proves that AI is here, AI is not going away, people need AI. But 
AI is not built to solve all your problems. You gotta really start thinking strategically, talk to experts like you, people in my organization, there are other smarter people in my organization, and, and you know, <laughs> I'm happy to talk, and find out where we can, first of all, where we can build the foundation. It's your data, it's your processes. We can make your existing processes more efficient. Instead of trying to recreate something completely different and run the risk of disruption, look at your current infrastructure, look at your current data and see what can be done with it. And that takes some you know, expert consultation and that kind of stuff. Absolutely does. And if, if somebody wanted to get your book, uh, where could they buy it right now? My book is everywhere where books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, most bookstores called Makers. You can search by my name as well. I'm on LinkedIn all the time. Best way to reach me is via LinkedIn. And it's um, slash Sani, S-A-N-I. That's fantastic. Sani, it was an absolute pleasure talking with you. I'm so glad you came on for an episode of this Tactastic. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed our conversation. And that's a wrap for this episode of Tectastic. I want to thank you personally for joining us and we'll see you next time. Until then, keep exploring and stay curious. Hey there, Tectastians. Is your team drowning in tech debt and you just wish you had a magic button to fix it? I want to introduce you to Vala AI, your tech debt hero. At Vala AI, we get it. You're busy. That's why we've made fixing tech challenges as easy as a click of a button. You don't need to be an engineer. We empower non-techies to conquer complex tech issues effortlessly. We understand you don't have time for tech headaches. Vala AI is here to lift that tech burden, making your tech debt disappear with a simple click. So ready to say goodbye to tech troubles? Try Vala AI. Your solutions are just a click away.